There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, it's Ryan. Just a quick note to say that we do talk about Leeds' pursuit of Max Aarons in this podcast. It looked almost certain like he was going to be going to Leeds when we started recording and then as soon as we finished in typical podcasting fashion it looks like he's now going to Bournemouth instead so just keep that in mind when it comes to that section of the podcast but I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Gary O'Neill to my Julian Lopetegui. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how the bloody hell are we? <laughs> yeah, really good. Really, really good. Season's back up and running, so mood's going to be 100%, 100 mile an hour for the next nine months, you'd assume, because obviously we've got football to fill that empty void uh, in my life. So yeah, really happy. Yeah, well, I, I should bloody hope so as well. It doesn't feel like the season is actually back. It still mm. feels like we're in pre-season friendly mode a bit for me. Does it? Is that the same for you? Yeah, I guess it's once you get past the first couple of weeks in August when you've got three or four games behind you. The first round of League Cup games are out of the way as well because that's a, an unhealthy distraction to the league quite soon after when the league starts. And then the business end of the transfer window kicks in a gear and that's really when the season yeah starts to take up a t- take up a notch and I do I do understand what you mean I do agree with you as well I do find the Carabao Cup a a distraction that I'm not particularly keen on uh, I've got to say I've, I've always maintained this I, I always think it should be just the two main domestic competitions and that's pretty much it personally I I, I just I, I just don't really get the Carabao Cup personally it's not something I pay attention to until December and then I forget who's in it at that point mm. and it's usually the quarterfinal by December and as you say it's just not something I pay too much attention to and I don't think I've been to a League Cup game in, in years actually we're talking years I don't think I even attended any of Derby's successful cup run under Frank Lampard yeah, it's quite quite a sad state of affairs when one cup competition in the, in the entire country is, is uh, yeah putting you in that state. Who won it this year? I actually cannot remember. I can't. I, was, my oh, my it was Man United against Newcastle. An entirely oh yeah, that was affair. actually quite a good one to be fair because <laughs> there was the whole saga around will Newcastle finally win a major trophy if the Carabao Cup is a major trophy. Um, and that was actually quite interesting. So I actually did watch that one. It just completely passed me by. But prior to that, my memories of the Carabao Cup, I, yeah. I, I can hand, hold in one hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Newcastle didn't win the League Cup, uh, and it's just gone to another top four club, which is 
why we do the championship podcast to take attention away from all of that guff and focus on what we've got here exactly well let's have a chat about it justin welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes this is our first preview show of the season justin and i are going to look ahead to the weekend and make some bloody predictions once again we're back on the predictions ladies and gentlemen we just can't get enough of making ourselves look silly uh, so we'll do that very shortly we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, mainly transfers, but there's been some big moves that have been happening in the second tier. And then we'll also finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end, which is our new midweek game for the season, which I think people will be glad to hear because Scott High or Ryan Lowe seems to be quite a popular game out of uh, all the ones we do play. So hooray us on that behalf. Um, well, let's have a look ahead to the weekend, shall we, Justin? So in each preview episode of the second tier, Justin and I will each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're going to track how we do as the season goes on. So one point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. And for some reason, Justin, you want to do a forfeit at the end of the season for the loser, which hmm. I don't understand because you're so bad at predictions. Well, let's add a bit of jeopardy in there and a bit of motivation for me to improve. And I will add, by the way, that I feel like I'm a bit like David James with these predictions where there, there have been quite a few, well, not quite a few, actually, that's working against me there. There have been one or two really bad predictions that have just labelled me someone who is, is bad at predicting, essentially, which I think is entirely unfair. David James had a largely successful career and was a good goalkeeper. And I think... I think Justin, that's where Justin, I lie in Justin. terms of these predictions. <laughs> you went like three months without getting a bank right. <laughs> it happens. You go on these dry spells, but it's a new season. It's a new me. And I think adding this forfeit in will, yeah, add that layer of maybe I should try and concentrate a little bit harder on, on picking them. So what's my forfeit for the season? Well, I suggested because you take the piss out of me un, you know, unfairly about my CrossFit um, activities... Uh, I suggested you do a CrossFit workout uh, either with me or on your own. Uh, and these are vomit-inducing workouts, by the way. These aren't very nice. Um, and it'll be I think it'll be good content for Cardiff fans, Stoke fans, uh, uh, pretty much any other supporter you've, you've pissed off over the last 12 months to see you in a lot of pain. Well, the reason we... I say we because it's basically our whole friends group uh, takes the mickey out of you for CrossFit is because you talk about it an awful lot. And I it don't is, talk to anyone. It's your main personality <laughs> trait. You've got to have something. It's better than being uh, someone who wears different football shirts every every week. You know, I've got something I mean, else with them. You also did that for a long period before deciding. <laughs> but I moved on, I changed. That's it. We all evolve as human I beings. I also don't talk about it all the time. <laughs> But you want people to talk about it. Which is why I, love, I love, by the way, how because I've now had my hair cut, which I think many listeners will, be, will now be uh, thankful for, you've now run out of things for to take the piss out with me. Because that was your thing now for a good couple of months. And now, mm. now you're resorting to football shirts, of all things. We'll find one. We'll find one. Don't worry. <laughs> well, let's talk about your forfeit, Justin, because I initially did... Uh, suggest you shave your hair um, and then I changed my mind and suggested you go for the Ronaldo 2002 World Cup haircut um, which I think would suit you quite well but then you pointed out that 
you're getting married next summer, which I think is a pretty poor excuse personally. I think your bride-to-be might enjoy getting married to R9 2002. Only if you get me the uh, the golden boots from 2002. I will make it happen. If you get me a pair of them, then maybe I will. <laughs> what, are you saying that's back on, are you? No, no, no. no okay, no. fine. But just get me the Mercurials anyway. That'd be nice. Um, so we can't do that, apparently. And then you also ruled out any appearance-related ones, which, again, it kind of defeats the object of a forfeit. Yeah, but I'm, as I said, I'm getting married. You're altering my appearance. A Sounds like a you before problem. a wedding. Nah, these these are these are. We're paying a lot of money for a photographer, for example. So, having my image absolutely destroyed for the rest of our lives in these pictures are going to cost a lot of money. It just seems a complete waste of money. It doesn't uh, to me. Uh, and as I say, if you shave my head as well, there's no there's no guarantee that I'm actually going to get married next summer because I've got an incredibly round head, which is masked very well by my hair at the moment. But suits the R9 triangle, which I think it, would it, look it really could good. Do. It could do. It might do. But it's something. It's a, it's a road that we're not going to cross, or a path we're not going to cross within the next 12 months, maybe the season after. Okay. We'll, we'll think about it then. The alternative suggestions, which I haven't actually put forward to you yet, include having to watch Goal the Movie back-to-back for 24 hours straight on live stream. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Dirty Pint, which you said was a bit weak, but I actually think I could make that work. Although you did point out you're a vegan, which does rule out a lot of the mm. content I would like to put in. Um, <laughs> you have to do a 30-minute set in the street, any random street around the country, of various football chants. <laughs> All PG, I hope. We'll see. Um, <laughs> this is very circa YouTube 2007, a ghost chili. I'll do your ghost chili. Well, it's it's not really up for you to decide because it's a forfeit <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, you have to get a coach from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. I'll do that as well. I could I could sit on a coach for a long time just play football manager. That's not a forfeit. No football manager allowed. Oh crap! Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and the final suggestion: I get to slap you really hard. Yeah, we're. These are good. These are good ones. I think you should put them to a vote. Maybe get the uh, listeners intake on that. Which one are you ruling out, if any of them? I don't really want to do a dirty pint. I don't want to. Is it you don't want to do a dirty pint, or you just think it's good content? It's just not good content. Mm. I think live streaming for twenty four hours the goal movies would be interesting. Um, a thirty minute set of football chants. I'm an introvert. That will crush me. Um, so I'd like it to really that will. <laughs> it really will, which is right. I really want that one to win. Um, yeah, let's do a poll. I think a poll's a good idea. So um, we'll put um, four of those options into a poll and um, see what comes out on top, shall we? Um, but there we go. I particularly want um, to you know do well this season because I want to maintain my you know mercurial record as a championship expert and because I actually did quite well with my predictions last season I didn't keep track but I think um, it will just go on to show that I'm actually quite good at predictions whereas you know you've got a lot to work on well a lot to work on or maybe just overturning that perception that's been built around me I think that's the key thing it's a PR exercise now for me over the next nine months. That's the key thing. Um, it's going to be That's a PR marathon. Uh, Justin, let's start off with your banker then. What is your first banker of the championship season? I've gone with Watford to beat Plymouth. Now, this is like betting against 
or betting on Thanos, isn't it, against Iron Man? You want Iron Man to win, i.e. Plymouth. So I think this is going to upset quite a few people because you've got a, a League One, a, a team coming from League One into the Championship up against a team who are benefiting from parachute payments in, in Watford. And I am very high on Plymouth this season. And it does go against that narrative, but Watford looked so bloody good against QPR. They were they were they were really good for forty five minutes. Uh, that well, that first half, I should say. Um, and they they saw the game out in the second half, um, and I think that that's that's going to play into this game quite. Let, let me stop you right there. Do you remember who they were playing? <laughs> yeah, I I was going to come on to that and say that okay, QPR wasn't exactly much of a test, and this will be more of a test. I think Plymouth will land a fair few punches on Watford during this game. And I'm expecting Plymouth to win a lot of games 4-3 and 3-2 this season and lose a lot of games 4-3 and 3-2 this season. And I expect this game to maybe follow that pattern. I just think, given that how creative and fluid Watford were against Plymouth, uh, sorry, against QPR, that's going to carry on into this game against Plymouth. And Plymouth conceded a fair few chances against Huddersfield. If Huddersfield had a little bit more quality in the final third, it could have been a different game, obviously. Um, and it really could have been um, you know, a, a draw at the end of the day if, if the likes of Josh Crowe and Johnny Ward put away some guilt-edged chances. I think Watford will punish Plymouth in this scenario. And I think, as I say, I think Plymouth are going to be in that scenario where they're going to come up against teams, land a few land a few punches on them. Um, but Watford, I think, at this point are, are a lot stronger. Um, and those Ishmael principles, hard-working, can be direct, um, uh, and they're quite aggressive in their press as well. They're going to play into this, play into this game against Plymouth side who are possession based. I, I agree with you about how Plymouth could concede quite a few chances last season, because uh, this season, because last season they did concede plenty in terms of the data side of things, and defence was a bit of a weak spot for them, and they were saved quite a lot by the goalkeeper Cooper, who was fantastic for them last season. Away record, not as strong as their home record, of course. Um, still quite strong, though. I think they were third in League One last season for their overall away record. So not as weak as you might think compared to their home record. I'm still not as strong on Watford as you are. Not anywhere near as strong, actually, on Watford as you are. So I would not be picking this as my banker. I think there were definitely some other choices I that I would suggest instead, Justin, as a better mm. choices for a banker. Um, plus, I do think Plymouth can cause Watford quite a few problems. They weren't really tested too much last week because QPR were utter shite. So this will be a bigger test for them. And it's also a big test for Plymouth as well because you're quite right. On another day, Huddersfield could have got something against them. Well, that's, that's the key thing I'm, I'm bringing into this is, is the chances that they did concede. And it's going to be a test for both sides. Watford, are gonna, they're going to have to step up against Plymouth because Plymouth are going to ask a lot more questions of, of Watford than, than QPR did. But when you've got the quality of Lauser in the squad, it's just going to play into it a lot more. So for me, I think Watford are going to be a bit too strong on this occasion for Plymouth. Might be a different story when, the, when their fixtures are reversed later down the season. My banker for this coming weekend is Leicester to win away at Huddersfield. No huge dramas with this one. You've got the team... We fancy to win the league, going to a team we both think will struggle this season. And Leicester are coming off the back of a great win against Coventry, a side who I think will be right up there in May. In the end, their quality shone through when it matters, and none more so than that boy, the boy, Kiernan Dewsbury Hall, who's just a supremely talented player. Scored both of Leicester's goals, but 
was also at the heart of every attack, carried the ball forward excellently, and I expect him to be instrumental once again here. Steffi Mavadidi looked exciting on the left wing, looks like he could be a fun player to watch this season. Harry Winks pulling all the strings in the middle of the park, and Dennis Pratt made a huge difference coming off the bench as well. I could go on. There's a lot of talent in that Leicester squad, as we all know, and that quality should be too much for Huddersfield. Simply put, the defense, uh, the difference in quality here is enormous. In fact, it's a chasm, really, if we're being putting it down to straight facts. That Huddersfield squad is one of the worst in the league. Simple as that. They were beaten 3-1 by Plymouth last weekend, as we were just saying. Plymouth could have scored even more. And if that's the case against Plymouth, imagine what it will be like against Leicester City. I wouldn't be surprised if Huddersfield did score because they did have a fair few chances against Plymouth and Leicester did look a bit vulnerable on the break against Coventry. I am slightly worried about set pieces as well. That is, well, that was one of Huddersfield's strengths last season and Leicester looked very shaky defending them against Coventry. Having said that, the aim of the game is to score more goals than your opponents and Edzo Mareska's side should outscore Huddersfield. They've got much more firepower and an abundance of quality compared to their opponents. The arrogance of Ryan Dilks here is on show massively. Assuming that the quality alone is going to be the difference in this game, can we not picture Matty Pearson absolutely hammering a deep cross into the back post home for a 1-0 win and Leicester City getting well and truly Neil Warnocked in this game? Because that is the Let me just stop you there I... for a sec, Justin. Can we just rewind five minutes ago where you pointed out the quality <laughs> of Watford will be too much for Plymouth, apparently? But I did say, yeah, but that's based on the game that we saw against QPR where they were absolutely dominated. So that is based purely on Justin, actual facts. Let me shout it again from Carl. the rooftops. QPR were utter shite. <laughs> Dad, but you make a good point there and you can only beat what's in front of you to add <laughs> a cliche in. But at the end of the day, this is a, this is a game that Neil Warner gets his team up for, isn't it? There's a lot of money and... and um, Gander, Gander? I'm trying, I can't think of the word. There's a lot of good things coming into town, rolling in with Leicester City, a lot of positivity there. And Neil Warnock thrives and his teams thrive on upsetting this this scenario, this, this sort of game. Now, I am with you. I do think Leicester will win, but I'd just like to pretty much upset the apple cart and just call you arrogant, basically. I think that's what I'm trying to lend in here. Call me arrogant, based off. <laughs> Very little evidence <laughs> whatsoever. Um, well, let's go to the outsider then. Justin, this is my outsider for the weekend. Remember, this is based off the bookies odds. So we pick a team who we think is going to win, but is the outsider when we look at the bookies. Um, I've gone with Birmingham City to beat Leeds United. Now, Leeds managed to get a win. Uh, no, managed, managed to win a point at the end against Cardiff, but they had to work for it, didn't they? And a lot of it was down to their own problems. The two goals conceded were certainly avoidable and issues at the back has been a problem for them over the last couple of Premier League seasons. Don't seem to be close to be ironed out from what we saw in that 90 minutes against Cardiff. And then going forwards, Leeds dominated possession and were constantly attacking, but it took a set piece and a lucky couple of deflections for the goal to come. So I'm a bit worried about the lack of a goal scorer in this team. Of course, Leeds are missing Patrick Bamford and Jorginho Ruta through injuries. So not having a striker on the pitch isn't ideal. As well as that, there were a few casualties from the Cardiff game. 
Liam Cooper is set to miss the next eight weeks. Crescentio Somerville's out for a month. Junior Furpo will be unavailable, uh, unavailable as well. Somerville is without a doubt the big miss there. Leeds now looking even shorter on options up front than they were before. So a few issues at Leeds, which may not get sorted out until the transfer window closes because right now everything feels a bit up in the air with several players unavailable or potentially on their way out. Max Ahrens and Joe Roden look set to be joining but perhaps may come too soon for the weekend. And then we've got Birmingham who are a team everyone's got very excited about over the summer. Their opening game wasn't a headline grabber by any means. One or draw away at Swansea. They could have won it if they had someone else at the end of two big chances. But unfortunately, they fell to even Sonia, which is probably the last person you want in that position from a Birmingham perspective. But considering this new and improved Birmingham side, they can hurt Leeds. Siriki Dembele got a debut goal and could go a long way to exposing their defensive frailties. Tyler Roberts, it's all set up for him to score the winner, isn't it? being an ex-Leeds boy Ethan Laird Lee Buchanan at fullback will be looking to get forward and cause plenty of problems and judging from what we saw against uh, against uh, from the Leeds Cardiff game it looks like those problems could very well be exposed and then the double pivot of even Sonia Chin Christian Bielik in midfield has the potential to be a really tough one to break down so I think this Birmingham side is looking strong Leeds seem a bit all over the place right now I saw Birmingham were as big as 3-1 to one with some bookies which I think is underestimating them quite a bit. So I'll happily take them as my outsider of the weekend. I think you're mentioning or or failing to mention the key variable here is this is the first home league game for Birmingham City under the new ownership. Now, I can only imagine it's going to be a quite a a big occasion, big atmosphere for for their home crowd in, in this excitement and this anticipation for the new season, which I think is going to playing to the players as well that being said I think what you've got with Leeds is whilst the first half was a quite shambolic at times defensively they did finish their game against Cardiff pretty well so it does really add that air of it's quite a hard one to call but I'm, I'm with you in, in that sense that I, th- I do think Birmingham um, I do think Birmingham can nick something here mainly because it's that first home game under under new ownership it's a new group of players for the fans to get behind and they've not had this this scenario before for a long time actually for years um yeah Leeds are going to be a difficult team to to, to beat but Birmingham City I think uh, yeah we're all we're all up on Birmingham City this season um so I think they've got they're going to pick up points in these games and I said before the season started I think Leeds will start slow which is ultimately going to cost them a place a promotion challenging place which um yeah they're going to have teething issues over the next few weeks and, and Birmingham City if you've got teething issues probably one of the worst teams to play I think it's a very good point. Just in the atmosphere, we'll be bouncing at St Andrews, isn't it? Because it is a new era, um, especially after how sour everything got under BSHL. So with the Tom Wagner revolution happening before our very eyes at St Andrews, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a bouncing one, isn't it there? Uh, hopefully not bouncing too much because the stadium is still a bit crumbly um, and we don't want any, any accidents <laughs> happening. Uh, Justin, what is your outsider for the weekend? I've gone with Preston to win at home at Sunderland. Uh, I think when I checked, there was a, they were only slight favourites uh, for this, which is quite surprising given Sunderland's away record last season was was significantly better than their home record and Preston's home record was significantly worse than their away record. So it's a really role reverse sort of game. Um, and obviously when we're talking about Sunderland, they're packed full of talent. They did fairly okay against Ipswich, but they struggled to break them down. And I think Preston are going to have a similar sort of game plan against Sunderland to, to that of Ipswich, where when they can break through the press, they will break quickly. 
Um, and I think that's going to cause Sunderland a lot of problems. I think this is a really good time to play Sunderland because they've got a lot of players that they need to bed in. The the front line is still it's it's looking tidy, but not as as not as tidy as I, I want it to be. Uh, you know, Lewis Semedo struggled against Ipswich. There's obviously no Rush Stewart. They'd need more options, I think, in that final third to really add a, a, a final figure um, to, to, to piece together that attack. Um, and I must do, I think they'll start flying. But I think this is a really awkward game for Sunderland because Preston defensively are incredible. They're a bit like a picture of that. I don't know, it's, it's a meme, isn't it, of that horse where it's beautifully drawn at the back end, but at the front end, it's drawn by a toddler. Their attack is a little bit, <laughs> their attack is a little bit uh, lacking. Because they're, they're defensively, they're a really good unit. And Ryan Lowe wants to play an attacking style of football, but he's not been given the resource to do it. So they're going to, again, I think they're going to win a lot of games. One, it was a tight game against Bristol City at the weekend. Did give Bristol City too many chances. And they had the number in the end and, and controlled the game despite scoring late. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think Preston are going to be in a position where they're going to cause something a lot of problems. They're going to be difficult to break down. And it's going to be one of those occasions where um, it's going to be a, a narrow a narrow win, I think, for, for Ryan, Lowe's, Ryan Lowe's boys. Importantly as well, home record last season was poor. Need to get it up and running early this season to to really get their fans behind the team because that's going to be the key to to getting this team going. I think you have been a bit harsh with Preston's attack there. Will Keane's just obviously come into the side, scored on his league debut for them last weekend and that's a huge boost because um, I was quite curious as to see whether he could do it outside of Wigan because he has struggled basically everywhere else, hasn't he? Um, and then the new signing, Mads Frockerai Jensen, how much of an impact will he have? But still waiting to see. Obviously, we've only played one game so far. So they're not that bad going forwards. But I do accept that they are better at the back because the personnel there are a lot better. Um, but I, I, the reason why I would disagree with this pick, Justin, is purely because of what you just alluded to just then. The home and the away record. Preston's home record last season was very unremarkable. We've spoken to a few Preston fans who said Deepdale was quite boring last season, not just because Preston weren't getting results, but there wasn't many goals happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is one aspect of it. But the other aspect is Sunderland were also very good away from home last season, despite having the biggest attendance week in, week out at the Stadium of the Light. Their away record was much better than their home record. And if this season, if that's going to carry on, then you'd be looking at this thinking... Southampton are probably the worthy uh, Southampton Sunderland are probably the worthy favourites in this particular game. That's why I was so surprised that the odds were so slim. But I think it's a new season, it's a new start for for Ryan Lowe and, and looking at how Sunderland struggled to to really break down Ipswich at the weekend. I think I think Preston are going to be a similarly difficult team to break down and they've got teams uh, they've got players that can that can hurt Sunderland. We're looking at Will Keane here and and, and Mads Jensen, really good, really good individuals um, who have got a lot of individual quality, who, as I say, can punish Sunderland. And I think they're going to take the chances. Going back to the attack, you say I was harsh. Okay, maybe not drawn by a three-year-old, maybe a nine-year-old, maybe even me. It's it's there's still a lot that needs adding to it. Going back to the meme here, yeah, going back to the meme point. Fine, it's still a lot that needs adding to it, but. It's going to be a narrow win sort of season, I think, for Preston until they invest in the, in the final third. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news in the Championship from the past few days. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And The Athletic is reporting Norwich's Max Ahrens and Spurs' Joe Roden are both set to sign for Leeds. The former would join permanently while the latter would be on loan. What do you think of this, Justin? I think they're two really good signings on, on paper. I think Joe Roden, for example, Joe Roden's a really interesting one because he's only played 40-odd games in three years since leaving Swansea. But he brings a lot of... Traits that Daniel Farker is going to going to need in his defence. He's a, he's a solid defender. He's 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 come through the the Swansea school of playing it out from the back. Obviously under Graham Potter and other other managers. So he's got a lot of a lot of qualities that I think are going to be really really useful for Daniel Farker. Max Aaron's Daniel Farker knows him very very well. He trusts him, and I think he's more flexible than maybe people think. He played left back during the under twenty one. So. There's opportunities there to play to play him in that position. So for me, I think yeah, there's, there's they're two really good signings. It just means there's there's potential there for for other players to be not down the pecking order a little bit. I think well, initially I approached this and thought this were these were two very good signings, and then I've kind of downgraded slightly. I think Roden I was more impressed with, but having looked a bit more at his time at I think it was Ren last season, once mm. it was on loan at. Spent more time on the bench than on the pitch. Now, I think if it's the Daniel Farker system, great ball player, certainly a Daniel Farker centre-back. Didn't really make the step up at Spurs. I think, I still think it's a good signing, but I think he could do with stepping down to the championship again. Max Aarons, I think, is a really good signing. I think it's quite funny how he's suddenly gone from someone who has been with pretty much every Premier League side for numerous years to finally moving and it's to another championship side. But I still think he's a really top player. Still only 23, by the way. Yeah, really young. Probably should have moved a bit earlier than he has done. Maybe, you know, two or three years earlier than he has done. um, Because I think he may have lost a bit of potential um, in that time now. But I still think it's a really good move for Leeds. My one sticking point with this is... I feel bad for Charlie Cresswell and Cody Drame. Perhaps not so much Drame because I think he's angling for a move away. But Cresswell, I thought after the season he had at Millwall last season, this would be a great chance for him to come into the Leeds team, be a first-team player playing week in, week out. He could have become a Leeds legend because he is a local lad who's come through the academy he wears his heart on his sleeve, does not back out of challenges. This would be perfect for him. But for some reason, it doesn't seem like he's going to get a chance. And I don't get what more he has to do, Justin. Liam Cooper's just got injured. So that would leave a nice spot for him. Sure, they still needed to sign a centre-half because they were lower numbers. But now I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to play ahead of Roden. 
or strike. So it just feels like it'll be a real shame if he doesn't get a chance. You're probably right. I do think that competition is absolutely necessary in this in this scenario. And also it gives Daniel Farco a little bit more flexibility in the systems that he can deploy. Charlie Cresswell was quite comfortable in a back three or a back four last season. So there's that as a that is that as an option for, for Daniel Farker. All, all all of those players are comfortable in any system, um, any any defensive system. So that's going to be a key thing there for, for Farker and, and Leeds. But as well as that, Cresswell's got a lot of potential. He might even go out on loan again, but he has been given a number five shirt, so it's probably unlikely. Um, and Joe Roden might even be the, the squad player. Obviously, he was a squad player at Wren and Spurs over the last three years, so Charlie Cresswell might be ahead of him. We don't know until Daniel Farker starts to put names on the team sheets, but what it does do, it, it adds a lot of depth that is needed, quality depth that is needed in that Leeds team because it's lacking. And obviously, as well as that, defensively, there are a lot of players there hanging over from last season where they were shambolic defensively, and we saw glimpses of that against against Cardiff as well. So maybe a fresh start with some some individuals like Aarons and Roden will be a big help. I'd be surprised if Roden was a squad player, Justin, because I imagine they must be paying a fair bit of money in terms of wages and loan fees for him to if he was if they were doing all that for him to play to just play on the bench again, I'm not sure he would have moved in the first place, but I'd be surprised if that's the case, which is why I just struggled to see Cresswell getting into this team now and as I say that is a real shame because he's an unbelievable player Southampton have sold defender Tino Livermento to Newcastle for £40 million very much an expected departure if you had to select three Southampton players who would be going out the door this summer he'd definitely be amongst them another would be James Ward-Prowse and Sky Sports are now reporting that Southampton have finally come to an agreement with West Ham over a deal for the midfielder it's a blow but not an unexpected one would have been a surprise if he stayed, to be honest. I think there was a conversation to be had, though, just about who else could go out the door there, because you'd expect Romeo Lavia to go. But they could end up getting well over £100 million for those three. So Southampton are really in a position where they don't have to sell, aren't they? And they've still got plenty of very talented players there. So unless someone comes in, tries to pay over the odds, they may as well keep these talented players, no? I think the thing is, you are right. They are in a position where they don't, they're not going to have to sell. They're not going to be forced to sell. I mean, the other argument is, are any, is any parachute payment team in a position where they don't have to sell? Probably not, unless you've seriously mismanaged your transfers like Victor or could, Victor or to Leeds, for example. But I think what I would have liked to have, the scenario, the, the ideal scenario for Russell Martin and Southampton is having these transfers done before the season starts. So we can go into go into the new season and essentially it's 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 a fresh start for, for everybody. You can then start to sign new players and get them bedded in quite quickly. Now, everyone knows Southampton have got a lot of money to spend if these players do end up getting sold. They've got a lot of money to spend. So prices are going to go up. It's going to be harder to replace them. And these players are going to need to be replaced as well. That's that's the uh, that's a key thing here. So yeah, I think Southampton are in a good position because they're going to have a lot of money, but it's going to be difficult to spend it at this stage in the transfer window. Do they have necessarily have to spend it? That squad is still right up there in terms of talent, isn't it? James Ward-Prowse, though, you need him. You need a player to come in to replace James Ward-Prowse. I know they've got Stuart Armstrong. They've got Romeo Lavia, if he stays. Small bone. He really enjoyed his performance against Sheffield Alcaraz. <laughs> okay, they are. They are. <laughs> there's a lot of depth there. That being said, he is a... He, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Not I'm trying to think of the player. He's, well, he's a leader. He's a tally, he's a talisman for for Southampton. He makes things tick for the for the club. So 
him leaving will be a huge, huge blow and you've got to replace your captain with somebody else. Uh, you know, it's it's one of them where I'm thinking, you got a lot of money, you need to go out and sign someone. Are you going to be able to sign someone of his quality? No, it's too late in the window for that. I don't think they need to get someone in, Justin. I think, I get what you're saying about leadership and what have you, but I think they were almost expecting him to go anyway. So is there really a need to go out there and get someone else in? I'm not sure that's the case. Southampton have also brought in goalkeeper Joe Lumley on a free. He was at Reading last season, also played for Middlesbrough and QPR in the past. Actually did all right for Reading last season, didn't he? But unfortunately, is very much capable of a clangor. Interestingly, after Swansea and Reading played each other last season, him and Russell Martin nearly had a scrap. So I'm hoping they've either shook hands on that or had a straightener in the car park. I'm certainly hoping it's one <laughs> over the other. <laughs> Once enemies, now colleagues. God, I love it. A good, what a redemption arc that could be. We need to see We need to see Southampton content here. They, need, they The social team needs to get on it and, and give us some sort of uh, piss-taking scenario out of that because that is... It could be could be great. Could mm. be great. Yeah, the potential is there. Unfortunately, the signing has already been announced, so it's not like they can do a new announcement kind of thing, but a little hint <laughs> wouldn't go amiss. Plymouth have signed midfielder Luke Cundall on loan from Wolves. He was on loan at Swansea last season. Oh, Plymouth. Truly a club after my heart, aren't they? Luke Cundall, impressed last season. He's a great passer, scored some important goals, suits the way Steven Schumacher wants to play. 21 years old, he's got plenty of room to grab as a player and this looks a really good move for him. I would say midfield is the one area Plymouth needed to strengthen the most, so this move makes total sense for me. I'm a big fan of this for all parties involved. agree with you. I completely agree with you. It's a, it's a good signing. I do think the midfield still looks a little bit lightweight, but other than that, you know, Luke Kundal put out some pretty good numbers for Swansea despite not playing or starting regularly. Seven goal contributions. As I say, despite only start, starting 22 games in your first full season of first team football, he's a very solid foundation to build on. He's a tidy passer. Can probably, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he is incorporated into the defensive side of things for Plymouth um, because they are going to be up against it. But nonetheless, when you've got a player of his quality and composure coming in and he's got more experience behind him, it's, yeah, he's going to be an interesting watch this season. Yeah, certainly. Blackburn have signed goalkeeper Leobold Wallstead from Norwegian side Odd as a replacement for Thomas Kaminsky. Uh, Justin, you told me you know this guy from Football Manager, which means you're slightly more qualified to comment on him than I am because I had no idea who he was. All I can say is he did really well for me on a derby save. I signed him when we were in the Premier League, got him on a free transfer, sold him for about seven or eight million pounds. So Ooh. Blackburn have a similar trajectory with him. Then they're going to be quids in a couple of years' time. Um, I know Greg Broughton said he'd been tracking him for the last twelve months, so I think selling Kaminsky for him for around two and a half, uh, sorry, selling Kaminsky for around two and a half million pounds and bringing in Volstead, I think is a is a good signing. I'm not massively convinced by Ainsley Piers. Um, he's a decent enough keeper, but I think Volstead, based on my FM knowledge, has got a lot of potential. That is literally what we're basing these things <laughs> on now. Um, I mean, come on, how are we meant to know anything about someone who's been playing in the Norwegian league? But you're right, Ainsley Piers. He's a steady keeper, isn't he? Blackburn have had some very good keepers in the last mm, decade. Yeah. Kaminsky, Raya, amongst others who I just can't think of off the top of my head right now. But, you know, if this guy is going to be next in line for that, then by all means, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's about. Um, and also, 
Kaminsky was really important to Blackburn in the first half of the season he before was. he lost his place to Piers and won them plenty of points. Whilstead will have to kind of pick up the mantle for that. Um, so I'll be interested to see who does play out of those two. I'm guessing it will be Whilstead if uh, the sporting director is such a big fan of him. Elsewhere, we need to give a mention to, I mean, very rarely, if ever, mentioned cup games. But how, did you see? Josh Ginnelly's goal for Swansea. Christ alive, <laughs> that was ridiculous. It was a hit. It stayed hit, to, to quote the commentators. Not that cliche Foot in there. like a traction engine. <laughs> Literally, I was Alan Partridge when I saw that. Shit! Swat! It's <laughs> incredible. It was incredible. And he's making me eat my words as well. Because I spent two minutes in the summer basically bashing him. So I do apologise, Josh Ginnelly. I was not aware of your game. Because that turn was also incredible as well. Because he created the space for himself with a really composed turn and then the strike just stayed here to, as I say, quote Alan Partridge on that. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. I did warn you, I had a look at some of his goals from last season. He had some an unbelievable compilation of uh, goals last season. And his XG compared to the amount of goals he scored was ridiculous. He was Mm. scoring goals. The number of goals that he scored, he didn't have any right to get near that tally when you look at what his XG was. So if that's more to come, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But we will keep in mind that as we were alluding to when we first spoke about him, last season was the first season where we've actually seen him do anything substantial. But Mm -hmm. if this is a sign of things to come, then Swansea have got some player on their hands considering they got me on a free. And according to The Athletic, Leeds midfielder Archie Gray had to get changed in the laundry room for their friendly match at Burton Albion because he's only 17. Still subject to safeguarding rules, meaning he has to change in private. And in football terms, not unusual for 17-year-olds to be playing games, but it often gets forgotten how simply mad it is that that is ridiculously young in the real world, isn't it? Like, mm. you you don't get into, into nightclubs when you're, when you're 17 <laughs> years old. Yet he's playing senior football against seasoned pros. It's like someone who's like take Rolls Royce for example, someone who's doing an engineering apprenticeship, building engines, physically building engines themselves. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes at Rolls Royce, but it, it is. is a similar it is. scenario, isn't it? It's someone who's on their apprenticeship, seventeen years old, mixing it up with the people who have got bags of experience. Um, yeah, it does. It does make you. It just grounds you a little bit as to how young these players are. And fair play to Archie Gray, and the the Gray family, because that is a football dynasty that is unmatched. I think. Mm. He played really well against Cardiff as well, did he? I, th- he did. I think he may have won Man of the Match. I can't remember if he if he actually did win it in the end, but he certainly stood out for me. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to see him play quite a bit for Leeds this season. I wasn't sure if he was yeah, too yeah, young, yeah. but if that's anything to go by, then yeah. my, oh my, what a player. What a player he's going to be. Right, now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. That is the first time Justin has heard that jingle. He is a fan. (laughs) Um, This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. Simple as that. There's three questions. This week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. Are you ready, Peachy? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to compose myself after that, but yeah, I'm I'm ready. (laughs) Um, Can you rank for me these four managers on who was in charge of their club the longest last season. You've got Danny Schofield at Huddersfield, Neil Critchley at QPR, 
Nathan Jones at Southampton and Colo Torre at Wigan. That Danny Schofield one's a, a difficult one because he would have taken charge straight after Carlos Corbran, which was around mid-June. And then he was sacked in September, so that's three and a half months. So I'm going to go with Danny Schofield as the longest. Um, well, you've got Neil Critchley. You said Neil Critchley at Black um, QPR, Colo Torre at Wigan and then Jones uh, Nathan Jones. Um so those those three would those three got appointed uh, were appointed quite close to each other. So that's a difficult one. So I'm going to go with Schofield top, then Torre, then Jones, then Critchley. You could have not got that more wrong if you tried. Mm. Completely and utterly wrong. Um, Nathan Jones was top with 94 what? days. Yeah, yeah, 94 uh, days, three I'd... months. Did he get sacked in January or was it after January? You are asking a man who hasn't got that in front of him. <laughs> so probably after January then. Because I, I, I'm assuming he got sacked mid-Jan, but he had the Lee Cook game against Manchester City where he stopped one of the most incredible feats in football history. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nathan Jones will go down in history as the man who stopped <laughs> the quadruple. Uh, Neil Critchley was second with 70 days. Danny Schofield was third with 69 days. So just one day behind old Critches. And then Colo Torre, 58 days. I'm surprised you put him oh, so high in your list. I um, It's quite... I know when they were all appointed, but I can't remember exactly when they were sacked because, yeah, they were all useless. So it's difficult. Well, that's why they lasted yeah. three months or less. <laughs> um, next up, Justin, is this. Which of these referees have officiated the most games in Premier League history. Andre Mariner, Anthony Taylor, Mark Clattenburg, or Michael Oliver? Um, I'm going to go with Mariner, top. Mm -hmm. He had some longevity. Mark Clattenburg disappeared for a few years and then came back. So I think he's going to be like third. So I'm going to go Mariner, um, the young one, what's his name again? Oliver. Yep. Then Anthony Taylor, then Clattenburg. I thought you said Clattenburg was third. Yeah, but I changed my mind. You've absolutely nailed it. Yes. Spot on. I thought you might get tricked because Oliver is so young still. I think he's mm -hmm. still one of the youngest referees, but I, pretty right, I think I'm right in, in saying he's, he's officiated the fourth most games in Premier League history. That's incredible. Which is mad. So he's almost certain to get the record eventually from old Mike Dean. But yeah, spot on. Mariner had 393, Oliver 348, Taylor 344, Mark Clattenburg 292. So not even close to wow. the rest of them. So it was a good thing you changed your mind last minute on that one. So spot on, JP. Final one is this. According to a YouGov poll, what are the UK's favourite pasta shapes? Fusilli, penne, spaghetti, 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 or tagliatelle? Um... I'm I'm going to base it on my preference here. I love tagliatelle. Mm -hmm. Tagliatelle is great. Um, spaghetti shit. Let's be honest. Spaghetti is it's terrible. You were going to outrage so, the spaghetti fanboys of the uh, of the <laughs> listenership. It's so overrated. So I'm going to put that at the bottom. So I'm going to go tagliatelle, fusilli, whatever was third. I can't remember what you said, and then spaghetti. No, completely wrong. Yeah. Um, you, I, I think you went with completely the wrong tactic of basing it off what you like. <laughs> um, Fusilli was top, of course, spirals, if anyone 
doesn't know what fusilli is. Spaghetti was second. I don't think I have to explain what spaghetti is. Penne, the tubes, was third. And then Tagliatelle, flat strips. It was a bottom. There's, Tagliatelle, I'm not going to get into it too much, but Tagliatelle is just a more interesting spaghetti. So everyone who said spaghetti over Tagliatelle's, they're not living. They're not living, Ryan. Yeah, but surely you'd put fusilli top because that's just the most commonly used one. Yeah, but it's also because it's so common, I, it's boring for me. I like to mix it up with some different shapes, like the macaroni shapes, for example. Do you or, think people have really thought about it that much? I don't know how these YouGov polls are conducted, to be honest with you. So maybe, maybe they not. They literally go out on the street, ask people, what's mm. your favourite pasta shape? Simple as that. If I'd known that, I may have changed my answers. I don't know how else you expected it to be done. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Scott High or Ryan Lowe, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. This has been our preview episode of the weekend's games. So looking forward to the second weekend of championship football as the season gets well underway. And we'll be back again on Sunday to review all those games that are coming up this weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then for a chat about all those games, plus any news that happens over the coming days. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. Abba Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.